Are there nerds here tonight? Nerds! You are a part of the lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. And Carissa. Not hot in spite of being a geek, but because of it. Being a nerd, it's not about what you love. It's about how you love it. Hey guys. Hey everybody. This is Evan. And I'm Carissa. And welcome to Lucky 10,000, the podcast that gets you luckier than Screech at a lowered expectations women's dating circle. Oh, wow. Okay. A little bit of a stretch, but I don't like that, man. So, we are going to be covering something and furthering our sort of out-of-the-box October sub subject matters. We're going to be talking about a very interesting subject to both of us today. But before we dive into that, I would just like to, A, thank uh, Musings of a Geek and the Tangent Bound Podcast Network for adding us to their network list of shows, which we haven't actually thanked them for the last couple of episodes because I think we both were so shocked by their acceptance of us that <laughs> we couldn't accept it. And we probably forgot. But they really are great networks. They've got a lot of great shows. And I'm going to ask you guys that are listening to this what we've been asking on the Bearded Ones just to show your support because obviously Lucky 10,000 is also on the beardedpodsnetwork.com. You don't have to just listen to one podcast. You can listen to Lucky 10,000 through Bearded Pods Network and then choose at least one podcast from each network that we just mentioned to listen to as well. And that way you're supporting the community. That's right. And I think that would be a great thing to do. Also, as you could probably tell last week, we did not have an episode. I'm going to chalk that up to the fact that I really felt like our Halloween episode deserved a little bit more time to ruminate and to gestate with people because I'm going to tell you this. The listens haven't been up there for that one. And it has become, honestly, one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. Really? So, yeah. So please go back and listen to that one. I really, really, really enjoyed it. But if you like that one, you're definitely going to like this one. Because today we do kind of the same thing, except we dig into superstitions. Yeah. Now, obviously, superstitions is a broad canvas. It can mean a lot of different things. But what we've done is I'm covering sort of the basic, really known superstitions and where they may have come from. Chris has got some of the more obscure ones, and we're just going to meld that all together into a cronut of information. Yes. So everybody's got their own set of superstitions. I know I, when I'm doing a show, for example, I'm not a superstitious person, but with each play that I do, I always form a habit and stick to that. It's different for every show, but I feel like if I break that routine, I get, I don't freak out, but I definitely get a little antsy. Yeah, we can get to like theatrical superstitions because yeah, both, both of us. Come to theater, there are yeah. some huge ones yep. that we do actually, regardless of being superstitious people, take very seriously. Yes, absolutely. Because you just never know and it's not worth the risk. But to start us off, seeing as how this is October and one of the most popular movie franchises of October is Friday the 13th, even though it doesn't actually have anything to do with the actual date Friday the 13th. There was a compilation of like the worst opening sentences in high school essays or fiction writing. And one of the worst sentences ever written from a high schooler was, it was Friday the 13th, the day before Halloween. <laughs> Which is just fantastic. In an alternate universe. <laughs> what two That's things are funny. super scary and I can put next to each other? Yeah, no one will know the difference. Why has nobody done that in the movies? Why right? doesn't anybody ever do Friday the 13th on Halloween? Right? It'd be amazing. <laughs> like, with the only holidays you could even try to do that with, Thanksgiving, I guess, could, could possibly be on a 13th? Nope, it's the last um, Thursday. It's the, the last, right? It's the, Thursday Thursday I always think it's like the third Thursday, which still wouldn't put it. Anyway, it's a really 13th. slow month that'd be on the 13th. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Easter, maybe? No. God, are there any holidays that could fall I on the 13th? I honestly don't think so. Yeah, so that could never happen with anything. Yeah, I so, don't think So you're could. stupid, kid. And I hope you failed that class. <laughs> but the number 13 is always synonymous with uh, bad luck. And there's always, you know, even hotels, there's a lot of rumors about hotels that always uh, skip the 13th floor, even yep. though they have a 13th floor. doesn't really make any sense, but they don't use the number 13. Right. And it's not just hotels. Like, there were apparently hospitals yes. that did that. Like, pretty yes. much any tall, like, office building, there were a lot. And still, some exist to this day that just don't have the 13. It goes from 12 to 14 in the elevator. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even though you're still technically on the 13th floor. Yes. Which is, I've always found slightly amusing. Yeah. But there is a name, obviously, for the fear of the number 13, and that's called Triskaidekaphobia, which is one of the catchiest 
virgin word. It just ever. rolls off the tongue, really. It really does. Triskaidekaphobia. It's definitely, though, one of those words that I guess I've heard enough to where I look at it and I'm not intimidated by it when I read it because some of those words, I'm, like, I'm not even going to try. But it has a musical ring to it. And that is from the Greek. It's a very Western culture thing that 13 is unlucky. Chinese and Egyptians actually believed it brings good fortune. Right. And uh, other Egyptians cultures have their specific, this number right. is bad luck. Like, but it always kind of falls onto 13, uh, in these cases anyway. The Egyptians, for example, believed 12 stages of life towards spiritual enlightenment. So the 13th stage was eternal afterlife. So to them, it's a very positive thing. That's very good. But that's because they weren't afraid of death, as you see in the way they celebrate, you know, everyone they buried in the pyramids and their own particular tombs. It's not like they were kind of mournful about it. They were like, this is great. Kill your servants. Take them with you. You're doing them a favor. Kill your cat. It's awesome. Yeah. So, of course, to them, that would be not necessarily an unlucky thing. There are some theories about why 13 is looked at as an unlucky number. One theory uh, is that Judas, the betrayer of Jesus, yes. that famous guy, he's only really famous for one thing. But as is, you know, Jim Neighbors, only famous for Gomer. Judas is really only famous for betraying Jesus. But you take that and run with it. Sure. And Jim Neighbors also had a really nice singing voice. So Judas apparently did not. So he really only got the one thing. <laughs> but he is the 13th person seated at the Last Supper. Correct. And so there is a thought that that I don't know if the number was tied into the painting itself or if it came from the fact that he was. It's kind of a chicken versus egg thing. Would it have met if, if he was the 14th person at that table? Would the number 14 all of a sudden become the unlucky one? I don't know. No idea. Is there a, is, any reference that you came up with with 13 being unlucky prior to Christ's time? There are, there are examples. And it's interesting that there are, because the other thing, too, is, is how much belief you put into superstitions. There is research that says 10% of the U.S. population honestly does have an honest-to-God fear of the number 13. Most of us are just sort of just carry it along because it's fun. It's almost like telling a ghost story sure. around the campfire. With it's the flashlight under your face. I don't truly believe that when Friday the 13th comes up, it's unlucky. But there are mathematicians and scientists. They point to the preeminence of the number 12, often considered a perfect quote-unquote number in the ancient world. The ancient Sumerians developed a numeral system, and it's not like you can tell I'm reading this word for word. <laughs> the ancient Sumerians developed a numeral system based on the use of the number 12 that is still used for measuring time today. Most calendars have 12 months. A single day is comprised of two 12-hour half days. Following so closely on the heels of a perfect number, some argue the poor 13 was sure to be found lacking and unusual. So it just seems like there are things. So it, it sounds like it's, it's more than one particular bad juju that has all of a sudden made people go, oh, 13's bad. It just so happens that there are all these little things. Mm -hmm. And then you sort of feed into the fact that, oh, that, that guy that portrayed Judas was also in the 13th chair. And maybe that was purposeful for Da Vinci to put him in the 13th chair because of that. Who knows? I think the Last Supper as a painting is actually very specific about what everything means apart from what the Da Vinci Code says. Right. You know, there are things like that. <clears throat> like I said, the Egyptians thought it was really good luck. Blah, 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 blah. The, the, the interesting thing to me is how it connects with Friday. Okay. Why is it not, why is it not Monday the 13th is bad luck? Why is it not Saturday the 13th is bad luck? Okay. Why don't the movies still make any reference to Friday the 13th in any of them? Is... Oh, I'm talking about specifically the movies. <laughs> I don't oh. know why they never make reference to Friday the 13th in the actual movies. I guess Jason was unlucky, so therefore everyone else has to be unlucky. Is there really no reference to it at all? I don't think so. Not even like in the first one? I'll have to. It's been so long since I've seen the first one. I'll have to go back and watch it. But it has sort of become legendary amongst horror aficionado, aficionados that uh, Friday the 13th, the movie, really has nothing to do with the day, Friday the 13th. That's weird. It started the whole. I mean, it was really just sort of, you know, Halloween. The Halloween movie was based on Halloween. It was one of the first horror movies that did that, amazingly enough. So that started the whole slash trend of holidays right and i guess the first one right after it was well they got halloween let's do friday the 13th it's the next unluckiest horror date we can think of huh yeah it was but friday the 13th up... the night before halloween right exactly uh, yeah they wanted to make it a prequel right <clears throat> like one day prequel but the 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 whole last supper theme pops up a lot yes in western civilization as to why the number itself is unlucky and it also comes up for Friday the 13th. Right. Because the number 13 is unlucky and Christ was supposedly, according to some, right. uh, crucified on a Friday. Those two things kind of go together. And of course, human beings 
are naturally good at detecting or surmising making a, up <laughs> a pattern. Yes. Where they're like we're good at finding a pattern when there is one, but it's hard to see. We're good at seeing it. We're but we're also at good a pattern there is none at all. Yes. Deducing that there is a pattern in something that is completely random. Right. So if you take a couple different disparate things that you could pattern together to make a whole cloth you just come up with the thing that sounds right. I mean, and you then can really you go say in. the religion itself comes from human beings' need to find yes. their intrinsic need to find a reason for things happening, and as opposed to accepting that things are just random. Sure. I mean, why do we see faces on the moon? Because, because our brains are wired to see something familiar. Yeah. So it's it's not much of a leap to, to for people to think that a particular day and a particular number is unlucky if one of the if you believe it, one of the unluckiest things that ever happened happened on that day. Although, to be fair, wasn't really unlucky if you follow the story because it was supposed to happen so that we'd be all okay. Yeah. But that's Friday the 13th. I don't think okay. there's much of shock there for anybody. Um, I thought the most interesting thing was how closely the number 13 is tied into all the, the positives. The, the number 12 is tied into so many positive things that it just so happens that the number 13 comes after it. So it's just not the lucky thing. Although I got to say that if you're talking about like 13 in comparison to 12, I, pr- I would prefer it because 13 is a baker's dozen. And that means yeah. you get an extra donut. Very true. And 13 is just more fun to say. <laughs> and 13 is your first official year of being a teenager, which can be looked at as bad luck in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's true. So do you have something? Let's bounce back to you. I have a whole bunch. What well, do you want? Fine. Let's Find let's me the do... most interesting thing. Well, find me the second most interesting thing you found, and then we'll end with your last one being the most interesting thing you found. Okay. Let's go with uh, knocking on wood. Okay. The superstition of knocking on wood. Okay. Do you do it? I do, actually. I don't okay. necessarily believe it works, but I do it. Out of habit, because it's what you do. Yeah. It's basically just uh, the tradition of, like, knocking on something wood. Usually for us, it'll be a table, because yeah. that's close by, in order to to avoid tempting fate. Yes. So we do that just out of habit, and most people know contextually why we Can do I guess? It. Can I sure. guess where it comes yeah. from? Go for it. Uh, if you knock on wood... You're knocking on the door of fate, saying, hey, fate, I'm here. Don't fuck me over. It's not, you're not totally off. (laughs) It's not quite right. But the origin is somewhat unknown, as are almost every superstition that we currently have. Anybody that wants to, like, rail against us for any of the, it's so much guesswork to figure out where most of these come from now. Yeah, and, I mean, kind of like holidays. It's just an amalgam of, you know, all the cultures that have come before it and putting their own spin on it and then it moving to somewhere else. But there is folklore, uh, European folklore, where dryads live in trees, and they're like fairies of the forest, and they can protect you. They are forces of protection. Mm-hmm. And so to knock on, on wood would be to knock on the tree that a dryad lives in, in order to invoke them okay. for protection. Which is like, that is a thing that was believed at some point in the past. Sure. And when we took the trees out of the forest and polished them down and smoothed them out and put them in our houses for tables, it's still the same wood, maybe just out of deference to that or hoping that maybe some part of a dryad spirit was in my house. (laughs) That maybe came in with the wood. There are countries in the world or places in the world where like a table doesn't count. Like it's unpainted, unfinished, uncut. It's wood, like actual tree wood, not things made of wood. Uh, so if you were to knock on a table, it wouldn't wor- it wouldn't work. You would have to actually knock on a tree. Interesting. You'd think they wouldn't want to help you at all, though, if you were knocking on something that had been made from a tree. Let's just say you're hanging around some lumber and you knock on it to make sure that what you just said doesn't come to fruition in a bad way. Would they want to help you at all? They're like, dude, you fucking like destroyed my tree. Well, I mean, yeah, because the same kind of general folklore that has dryads in trees also recognizes that if the tree is cut down or dies, the dryad dies. <laughs> the dryad the is thing. the spirit of the tree. So if the tree dies, so then does its spirit. Does the dryad come out as a ghost? You totally fucked me over. <laughs> You're looking for my help now? You know, I didn't find any any word on that at all, actually. <laughs> well, look harder. But I, thought, I think it's interesting that there are not just Western European and North American right. knocking on wood, but like all throughout Western and Eastern Europe, Iran has a has a knock on wood tradition. Okay. Turkey has a knock on wood tradition. Does it all come yeah. basically from the same it type? Is, it is generally just a way to keep bad things from happening to you in the face of being presented with something bad. 
Right. Like, oh, my cousin just got cancer. Knock on wood, that doesn't happen to me or whatever. <laughs> I just, I might have invoked it. I might have drawn the evil's attention by saying its name out loud. Right. So I'm going to knock on this wood, which will ward away the intention of the evil that I just called or whatever. Yeah. It's basically that everywhere that does it. Yeah. Like if you call Candyman, you really fucked up. But hopefully if you knock on some wood, the ghosts of the dryads will come out and send him back into the mirror world. Sure. <laughs> that works. We can Speaking have a, of mirrors, a new sequel. Uh, next one is a big one. Everybody knows. Broken Mirror. Yep. Seven years. Bad luck. Why is that, you think? Not you specifically, because if we both looked up the same things, you probably know exactly yeah, what I'm going to say. But <laughs> you, generally speaking, why does seven years bring bad luck? Well, it's because in ancient Greece, divination, common for people to consult mirror seers, diviners, as it were. And there's a this reference comes from a, a book that I would like to pick up, actually, Milton Goldsmith's Signs, Omens, and Superstitions. Definition was performed by means of water and a looking glass. This was called, whew, do you remember uh, treptodicophobia? Uh, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is not that. Catopromacy. C-A-T-O-P-T-R-O-Mancy. Catopromancy? That thing. Catopromancy. That's what it sounds like. Catoptromancy. Okay. Anyway, the mirror was dipped into water and a sick person was asked to look into the glass. If his image appeared distorted, he was likely to die. If clear, he would live. So you get a distorted image of yourself when you break a mirror. And in the first century AD, Romans added that it was believed that people's health changed in seven-year cycles. A distorted image resulted from a broken mirror, therefore seven years of ill health and misfortune rather than outright death. So it's really just a combination of seeing your own reflection distorted and the fact that there was a belief in a seven-year cycle. So you've got seven years of bad luck from whatever divination was working against you that allowed you to see your reflection in the mirror. So I guess you, in order for the superstition to come true, I guess after the mirror breaks, you have to see yourself in it, technically. But we just sort of taken that and just any time a mirror breaks, if you're responsible for it, then you've got seven years bad luck. Well, I think that the Romans had a belief that your your body, your life was renewed every seven years. Right. And so after that seven years, your life had been renewed. So that curse was no longer on you. Right. Because you were reborn effectively every seven years. That makes sense. I think is where that time frame comes from. It wasn't random. I mean, it's kind of random because why would your life just be renewed every seven years? Like, <laughs> I don't know where that belief came from, but that was a belief at the time. And so it was pinned to that belief is that after that seven years, when your life is renewed, obviously the curse is gone. There you go. Now we pass the ball back to you. Do you know why we cross our fingers? No. There are two things generally that we cross our fingers for. Okay. One is for keep your fingers crossed, like hope it's good luck. Okay. And the other is to cross your fingers if you're telling a white lie. It doesn't count. Okay. So it's like, uh, no, mom, I didn't break your ornament or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you right. have your fingers crossed behind your back. Or that if you're a family count. circus character, you just say, not me, and it goes not to me. Me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you can... That's, uh, by the way, a callback to a hilarious discussion we had on the Bearded Ones podcast. Check it out. Yeah, it was like four episodes ago. It, it was a while. <laughs> it's it was, been a long time. It was a little bit ago. So the post-Christian world did not steal the cross. The cross had been a symbol of divinity and unity and all sorts of other good stuff for centuries pre-Christian times. Mm -hmm. So it was you know, only natural that that would just evolve into post-Christian times. And crossing your own fingers was just a, an evolution of what people used to do, which would be to take your index finger and cross it with your friend's index finger. Mm -hmm. So like a finger-to-finger -finger handshake. Yeah. And friends crossing fingers was a thing for apparently a very long time. Mm -hmm. And this is like, hey, I ho I'm hoping that something good happens to me. And you are my friend. You obviously also would hope that something good happens to me. So it translated us. to people like me who don't have friends and hate people in general. Also, we got to cross fingers with somebody. Right. Or, you know, for whatever reason, your friend isn't there to wish you that it happens good for you. So you would just... Instead of crossing fingers with a well-wisher, you would cross your own fingers right. to wish yourself well. And that's yeah. basically where that 
came from. So keep you know, your fingers crossed. There's so many hand signals in, in everything, really, that, that have such an interesting... Uh, this reminds me, you know, do you know the origin of the devil horns in heavy metal? I feel like I used to, but I don't know it off the top of my head anymore. Well, there's two people who claim credit for it. One of them was Gene Simmons from Kiss, but he claims credit for everything. <laughs> um, the other was Ronnie James Dio, who used to do it at his concerts because it was something his grandmother used to do to ward off curses. Mm-hmm. And it became a symbol for heavy metal from that. Gene Simmons claims that he did it because on the cover of one of Kiss's original albums, it's a painted cover where all the mem- band members are on there. You can see him doing something that looks like it with his hand in the background. But he wasn't trying to make it prominent. So I would think that if he wanted this to take over the metal world, he would have tried to make it front and center. If you blink, you miss it. But Ronnie James Dio added it to all of his shows. Okay. It was sort of this, you know, warding away curses thing that uh, I can't remember what nationality his grandmother was, but a very superstitious, you know, everyone's seen someone do that. Yeah. Where they're trying to ward off a curse and he just started doing it. It shows it caught on and now everybody does it to represent evil. <laughs> Which is totally cross purposes to its intention. Although helps cement heavy metal as the devil's music. So I'm all for it. Sure. Now we get to one of the one of the most famous ones. Uh, I didn't want to lead off with this one. I'm sure you didn't either because it's just so obvious. But it's still interesting in that it still has a place with us. Have you have you ever been walking down the street, had a black cat cross your path and went, oh, fuck, I should not go this way? No, I mean, I've had a still that palpable. I've had a black cat cross my path and go, kitty, and then try to yeah, pet well, it. I do, too. But have you ever even had that feeling for just no. a second? Because I think this one permeates most people stronger than a lot of other superstitions. I, again, who do not consider myself a superstitious person, will think about it for a second if it happens, especially if I'm driving. But obviously, I don't really think there's anything to it because so many cultures worship cats. Cats are allowed to roam free uh, and, and be encouraged to be fed. And I think a lot of Indian nations, there's just a lot of a lot of respect for cats as a whole because they've always come across as very independent, intelligent, resourceful creatures, which they are. Ancient Egyptians revered all cats because... They, and they actually thought that any cat crossing your path, including a black cat, was actually good luck simply because they respected yes. cats so much. The problem is witches. And that's, there's a reason that, that cats, especially black cats, are so synonymous with witches. And, you know, those Middle Ages, those people, um, they made a lot of weird conclusions. Yes. So obviously their, their belief in witchcraft we know now was ridiculous and silly. Their tests for witches were even more ridiculous and silly. Right. Where it's basically, uh, if you answer yes, you die. If you answer no, you die. But they thought that black cats were familiars for witches. Um, right. Or possibly even witches in disguise. And if there was one around you and it crossed your path, that was a sign that the devil was watching you. Yes. So, I mean, if you have a, a stupendous, superstitious religious belief and you've been taught since you were young that this is a sign, I can absolutely see how that would permeate the way you think and feel, even in the days of common sense. Sure. But that's also, I think, the reason why cats have become so synonymous with witches. And it probably is, you know, there is a, a more direct element of just plain fear, I think, with this one than a lot of others. Simply because anything that's dark that can hide in the shadows that is predatory in any way already has an element of fear about it. Sure, absolutely. Especially since if you've ever seen, you know, I love cats. I have one. But if you see, you know, a cat at night and they've got the glowing eyes coming back at you when light hits them, if you're not used to that, that's creepy. That's true. And then think about the larger ones, you know, the panthers and things like that who are predatory and can jump out of trees and kill you and eat you. That's even scarier. So I don't think it's a huge leap to say that these things are bad. It's a bigger leap, though, to say that means the devil's watching you. Yeah. I would think the more logical leap would mean, oh, it might want to eat me. The sad thing to me about the black cat superstition is that... How many cats died? How many black cats just don't get adopted and end up dying? Now, that is that is insane to me. I've had black cats before, and they're great. But, yeah, anyone in this day and age that simply won't adopt a cat because of an old, stupid superstition. Yeah. I would I would adopt a black cat in a heartbeat. My, so my thing I, when I when I go to look at animals, if I'm thinking about adopting at all, is is it a sweet animal that needs a home that I seem to get along with? Yeah, is our chemistry right? Right. Like we actually, when we um, went to get our newest kitten earlier this year, we went specifically not 
only to get a black cat, but we went to all the places that we went and mm-hmm. looked for the black cats first. Yeah. Because we know that they don't get adopted and they're all going to end up dead. So we're, it's just we so were looking. Ridiculous. We ended up not getting one because we found a tortoise shell who just totally fit with us. But yeah. there weren't really any black cats except in one of the places that we went. If anyone didn't know, by the way, that there's a breed of cat, that shows you it was the laziest pet owners in the world. We found a tortoise shell we had more chemistry with. <laughs> we brought it home. You don't have to feed it. Yeah, just the it. shell. No it's turtles. Just, just those, those are just problematic. But it's a good decoration, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So the we found her. That was great. But it was. Yeah. If you're listening to this show, let's just say, and you would not adopt a black cat because of your superstition, just stop listening. No, don't stop listening. <laughs> Educate yourself and maybe go visit no, some if, black cats. If they're adults and still believe that, that's not going to do anything. Just don't procreate. No, that is very much not in the spirit of our podcast, Evan. It's not? No. Okay, it's in the spirit of my half of the podcast. Okay. <laughs> I mean, why doesn't it apply to other things then? Why doesn't it apply to dogs? Why doesn't it apply to, to any other type of pet? What do you mean? I mean, you don't see people avoiding black dogs for something for that same reason. Oh, yeah, they do. Not that do there they? are all that oh, many Oh, I just hate dogs. you all then. Just go to hell. <laughs> but black dogs are often an omen of death in a lot of cultures. That's a thing. So, mm. yeah. But the... The fact of the matter is there are more black cats than there are black dogs. Absolutely. So it's easier to see the black cat example than it is to see the black dog example. True. And again, there is something, you know, a lot of times cats are so good at being silent predators. And that's just sort of the way they're trained. I think yeah. dogs are more aggressive. So there's always an element. There was a, there's been two horror movies, the cat people from the 50s and then the remake of cat people in the 70s, just based on the fact that prowling cats, they do it so silently and so stealthily that there is, I think, an extra creep factor uh, if you think about it. The Ghost in the Darkness, I thought, was kind of an underrated horror movie, a true story about some lions that stalked some people in Africa. And, you know, there is, you know, dogs are usually so much more aggressive about that sort of stuff. I'm not saying wolves don't don't stalk, but they make themselves known more than cats do. Well, I mean, wolves, dogs in general, canines are persistence predators. So they don't really give a shit if you know they're there. They're chasing you. You know they're there. They're going to chase you until you fall over dead. Right. In fact, if you're listening and you do want a good real world creep, uh, there is a video online of two guys who survived, but they're out, you know, hiking or skiing or something in the mountains and they hear a howl. And so they turn on their uh, cell phone camera and then they hear another howl and then they hear another and then they hear another. And within a few minutes, they realize they are surrounded by wolves who are communicating to each other about their every move. Yep. It's pretty terrifying. Yeah, that would be terrifying. Like I'm a I love dogs and oh, I love too. cats. But if I'm me out too. in the wild where there are wild animals oh yeah hell no especially if there's a i saw a video yesterday about a woman who uh had befriended a wolf in in some wildlife preserve and it showed the wolf coming up to her and letting her pet it which was a sweet moment until you really took in how fucking big that wolf is yeah they're, they're no massive joke. so anyway superstitious yes back to you okay so we did crossing fingers knocking on wood uh when you spill salt do you toss them over your left shoulder no but do you know I people have, that do? Um, honestly, no. But I might. I just haven't been in that many situations where salt has been spilled. Okay. Um, it's actually I, not that common. I do. Not out of superstition, more out of respect for tradition, I guess. I think that's a really good point, though. I think a lot of people don't honestly believe that these superstitions are warding off spirits or anything. There's just this need to not forget about it. Yeah, it's there's the way that the specifically throwing salt over your left shoulder, which is kind of the most American way that we, I don't know, respect the spilling salt tradition. Mm -hmm. And every culture has something about salt. Every single one. Salt is an incredibly important part of human civilization's history. And so all the cultures that have developed since our history began have something about salt in them. The one that we have most commonly in the States is if salt is spilled, you pick up a pinch of it and toss it over your left shoulder. The reasoning that I had heard most prevalently about why Mm. we do that is because it used to be thought that, like, you know, the in cartoons, how somebody, a character would be thinking of what action to take at this point, and an angel would pop up, and a little devil would pop up. Oh, yeah. Telling them which to do. Well, that was... (laughs) That's from like a common yeah. ancient belief that right. you had an angel and a devil or whatever word would actually qualify for them sitting over your shoulders. Right. And the angel was on the right side and right. the devil was on the left. So when salt, which is historically 
a purifying sure. element item, what you would do is pick up the pinch of salt that was spilled because the devil doesn't like purity. So right. that's what caused the salt to be spilled. Which, you know, I think that's fascinating, but I also think it feeds into the idea in order to be comfortable with the idea of evil or the devil, we have to make the devil really not that formidable of a of a foe. Right. He just wants to <laughs> knock over your salt your shakers. You know, this angel comes up, I would save that pedestrian devil. I would <laughs> What the fuck, yeah. man? So you would basically take that? the salt and toss it over your left shoulder into the face of the devil. Right. And he ah. And because it is purifying, it's not ah. It's because it is purifying. It's like holy water to a yes. demon or whatever. And that purification would cause the devil to shrink back or go away. Sure. He's a slug, basically. Yeah, kind of. And so that's always kind of amused me. It makes me chuckle heartily. Not, not in a ha 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 that's so quaint and funny, but just the kind of the esoteric concept of it. Yes. That there is a purity in doing that as a gesture, not because anything comes of it or that you're actually right. warding off evil, just the purity of the gesture that I'm being mindful that there is this item, this product, and I'm doing this ritual with it right? so that I am mindful of the purity of it. Right. But it also is funny to me. That you know, it's kind of like Needful Things. Do you ever read that book? Mm-hmm. I love that book until like the last two pages. Spoilers for Needful Things: the devil is defeated by uh, paper flowers. Yeah. Throughout history, the devil, the lord and master of all evil, the one true nemesis to God Himself, really easy to fuck over. Really historically, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do. Just say no is the big one when he tries to tip. No, devil, I don't want to do that. Ah, you have defeated me. <laughs> You know, in Stephen King's world, paper flowers. And, you know, I think it's I think it's also part of, of like I said, that our our need to feel powerful enough to where we're not at the mercy of evil all the time. Because right. if the devil existed, I would like to think that you couldn't just they went through a hell of a lot in The Exorcist without using any salt at all. That movie would have been about 10 minutes long. So, oh, she's possessed. Uh, give me some Morton's. <laughs> ah! And then you're done. Well, I know that I've brought it up before, but I, I don't know if you've gone to look at any of the episodes of Supernatural. Not yet. I don't want to talk about it like I'm a huge fangirl or whatever because I'm not, but I have seen... You never said it was a bad show. No, I it's like really not. It's perfectly enjoyable, at least for the first five seasons. Right. So that is a very common recurring theme. Like They do it basically every episode. At some point, you lay salt. Either right. a circle of salt or you put salt over the windows and doors. Yeah, that has become a very common thing. To um, prevent... And a lot of horror movies, too. You, the yeah. circle of salt that you yep. stay in to keep the evil spirits away. Exactly. Because it's pure, things that are impure cannot cross that threshold of salt. Right. Which I, I love that concept. So it makes I for do... great tension in a scene when you've only got this one little circle of protection. Yep. Anything that falls out of that circle is in great danger. And you can actually come face to face with these evil things. And you're really close, but they can't touch you. It's creepy. It but when you look at creepy. it on its face. It is. Yeah, it is ridiculous. Just yeah. like pretty much any of those rituals are ridiculous. Yeah. So well, that's spilling salt. To go to one that has a little bit more of a common sense origin, opening umbrellas indoors. There's not a ton of mystery to it. It actually, it's something that I think even if there was no superstition about it, people would avoid doing just because you don't need it indoors and it's right. a huge inconvenience. But there is something to it, as quoted by the extraordinary origins of everyday things. Uh, scientist and author Charles Panetti wrote the 18th century in 18th century London, when metal spoked waterproof umbrellas began to become a common rainy day sight, their stiff, clumsy spring mechanism made them veritable hazards to open indoors. A rigidly spoked umbrella opening suddenly in a small room could seriously injure an adult or a child or shatter a fragile object. Even a minor accident could provoke unpleasant words or a minor quarrel, themselves strokes of bad luck in a family or among friends. Thus, the superstition arose as a deterrent to opening umbrellas indoors. Okay. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Basically, a superstition that its superstitious roots are, uh, don't do that. Uh, there was also a superstition about umbrellas in ancient Egypt. There was, but it really didn't have anything to do with umbrellas. It was well, more, I mean, not umbrellas as we think of them. Like rain shelter umbrellas? Yeah. No, they were sun the, shelter umbrellas. Sunshades, yeah. Yeah. But I think the, the 18th century one makes a little bit more sense in that it's still active today in that you just don't want to because it's not a good idea and it's pointless. Yeah. But I now mean, it's turned into, if you sense. do that, it's going to be bad luck. Yeah. And the rituals that we, I don't know, turn into patterns of superstition, the more modern day ones, like there are a lot of those umbrellas, gambler superstitions. Right. A, a lot of those more modern day ones are 
really more practical than not sometimes. Sure. There is a lot of practicality to do a lot of these things. Hey, don't don't break a mirror. I'm not I'm going to try to avoid breaking a mirror not because I'm worried about seven years of bad luck, but it's property and it could be dangerous. Yeah, and glass, especially mirrored glass, is expensive, or was at a time. Very much so. And also, broken glass is really hard to clean up all the way. Oh my god, You're it's so gonna hard. always going to step on a little piece or whatever. Those little powdered flakes that get in oh, your Oh, they're feet. the worst. Yeah. And you always get that one little perfect chunk, too, that you don't see until it's too late. Yep. After you sweep it up. Like a week later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. <laughs> that's all I got for umbrellas. Okay. Oh, my turn? Yes. Here's one that I do as a challenge more than okay. a belief. Okay. Holding your breath as you pass a cemetery. Okay. I think I did hear about this one once. I have forgotten. It's sort of, is it about the resistance to inhale spirits? Yes, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, where that's what, it, that makes sense. Where it came from. It's that a spirit who, because spirits reside in cemeteries, yes. a spirit who was trying to escape the cemetery could get into your body. And the belief that a spirit could enter your body through your mouth is very long held. Oh, yeah. Cemetery. I mean, it makes sense. It's not regarding a cemetery. Just spirits in general can get into your body through your mouth. That was a thing that has been around for centuries. But, of course, cemeteries are where lots of spirits happen to congregate. Yes. <laughs> so if you pass a cemetery and your mouth is, is open or you are breathing in, a spirit who is trying to escape the cemetery can inhabit your body by you doing that. That's the superstition. I do it as a challenge to see if I can hold my breath as I pass a cemetery. Right. And having a superstition makes it seem less, slightly less weird that I go... Yeah. <sighs> Right. right, we drive past. <laughs> it's really easier to explain. It's a superstition than to go. I just wanted to see if I could hold my breath for the whole length of a cemetery. Yeah, like there's one not far from my house that is nearly three quarters of a mile long. That's a long time to hold your breath if you're walking. I can't. I can't do it in the car, let alone walking. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't do it when I pass that one, and it doesn't bother me that I don't. Right. Because I don't think an evil spirit is going to enter my mouth if I'm but, breathing. You know, it might have, and you never know. It, I suppose. How would I know? But that one, you know, as as super, as people, who knows what people are going to be laughing at about us 100 years from now. But oh. it makes, of all the weird sort of out-of-nowhere superstitions, that one does make a lot, a lot of sense because where else would they go? Your breath is your life. Yeah. And the two orifices you have that expel and inhale it, of course that's where they would come in. So that makes a weird sense. Yeah. Another more famous one that everyone knows, walking under a ladder. A lot okay. of people consider that bad luck. Sure. This is another one of those that, you know, those Egyptians, they were nutty people. <laughs> uh, but they also worshipped the shape of the triangle. Yes. Um, they considered it sacred. So if you broke that shape by walking under a ladder, and then we're talking about ladders, they have to be specifically propped up against something. It can't be, you know, an A-frame ladder or something like that. Although I guess it could. That's still technically a triangle. Still is, yep. But it more is in reference to the ladders propped up against walls or that's the t the, the the kind we tend to see because that's what they had um and it is it's simply triangles are trinity of the gods if you walked through that you're breaking the triangle and desecrating them we did sort of co-opt that with christian religion um ladders leaned against crucifixes and so they became a symbol of wickedness betrayal and death and so you were just sort of playing with you were they called it in this article i found courting misfortune to walk okay. under one. All right. The Egyptian one makes a lot more sense, but still, they're both really silly. <laughs> I mean, as a sign of respect to the gods or the cosmos or whatever, like I could see that. Again, yes, not necessarily even, oh, do I really believe that that's going to happen? No, no I absolutely don't. It's a funny thing. If, if superstitions are, in, are, are, are convenient, they're not inconvenient, people will still abide by them, even though common sense and everything we've learned in the thousands of years since then tells us this is just dumb. People will still, you know, better safe than sorry. It doesn't take two seconds to knock on wood. It doesn't take, and you know, walking under a ladder is still, it's not as safe as walking around one. That's true. Could be on that ladder. Something could fall off the ladder. You yes. could accidentally hit the inside of the ladder and knock somebody off. Yes. So it's, it's a still, bad you know, idea. <laughs> it is. It is never a good idea. That's again, a lot of these superstitions are just like, don't break a mirror because it sucks to clean up and you might get cut. Don't walk under a ladder because it's more dangerous than walking around it. Yeah. So I guess in a way we're honoring the superstitions because we know it's a superstition, but it also is a lot of just common sense. Yeah. And there's no superstitions again, like, about don't stab your friend in the jugular, but no, we still don't do it. That's true because it's rude. Very. <laughs> and hard to clean up. Oh, my God. Getting glass blood out of a bad. carpet? Jesus. Never on the carpet. Yeah. I think that is a superstition. Don't bleed on the carpet? Yeah. Okay. It's certainly <laughs> one in my house. Taught me that one. All right. Oh, so you know how whenever anybody sneezes, we always say bless you or because yes. depending on your personal preference of the matter. Right. I say bless you because 
I've said bless you since I was little. And right, I do the same thing. I'm not religious at all. I don't think it means anything. It's just polite. Yeah. It's, it's it you're is welcome the, to thank you. Yeah. It's the, hey, how's it going? Pretty good. It's of sneezing. I mean, it's right. it's just social expectation being fulfilled. It's fine. We don't say yeah. anything when anybody coughs, but we do when they sneeze. Right. There's a history of that. Fine. We say bless you. I don't care. Kay says Gesundheit all the time. That's his response. Sure. Which is fine. I Whatever. Nothing wrong with that. No. So I went to look up. In fact, I, I, as a person who is not a very religious person, would actually be pissed off and offended if somebody I knew sneezed. I said, God bless you. And they're like, hey, I'm not religious. And I should be like, you're kind of a douche. You know yeah. I don't really mean okay. it. Okay. That's good that you're fine. Whatever. You're yeah. also a dick. Yeah. So exactly. how about just say thanks or yeah, whatever, cool. like you're supposed to. <laughs> Everything doesn't have to be your fucking soapbox. Yeah. You allergy ridden atheistic asshole. So it's basically everybody in, and I, I went to look it up to find out because we've all heard that you say, bless you, or we wish you good health or whatever the right. response is, because there was an old timey belief that when you sneezed, either your heart stopped for a minute or for a second. And they say that to continue your heart beating. Sure. To wish that your heart would continue beating or mm -hmm. because evil spirits could invade your body mm -hmm. as you were sneezing. And so they said that to, you know, or there's the Millhouse the theory. That sneezing makes your soul go out and God bless you, crams it back in. Yeah, exactly. So that was the superstitious reason that most cultures started doing that. But I went to see what most cultures and languages said in response to a sneeze. Because we say, God bless you or bless you, and have kind of stolen Gesundheit from German. But I didn't know what anybody else said. So I, I just went to Wikipedia and looked it up about the responses to sneezing. I love this list because it is very long. It includes basically every common and some not so common languages. And every single one of them is some version of we wish you good health. Okay. It's, it is we bless you or I hope that you live 100 years or to your health or I hope it helps or for your health or cheers. Like it is something about you being healthy or well. Except one, one language. Okay. And I am going to completely butcher the pronunciation of the language, and I apologize. Uh, can I just go back to kata Don't worry about it. It is Ritharnju, I think, which is an Australian Aboriginal language. Oh, so I, I wouldn't have pegged that word for Aboriginal at all. And that's the name for the language. The, what they say, I'm not going to pronounce, but what right. it means is, so you sneeze, and they say to you, you have released nose water. <laughs> and the response to that, whereas we would say, thank you, they say, I am dry now. <laughs> Which I think is probably the most glorious. Oh, it's awesome. Cultural differentiation. Because seriously, all of these are to your health, to your health. Absolutely. Bless you. Be healthy. Fast recovery. And one is to just your simply health. stating the obvious. And this is, you've released nose water. That like, just came what? from your obvious Aboriginal friend. I <laughs> like, love it. House. Oh, you stubbed your toe. I love thank you. that. I'm in pain now. It's so good. That is very funny. I do think that's very cute. Yeah. Um, how many do you have left, by the way? Well, I have one culturally specific one okay. and I do, three more general. To the theater stuff, because I think it's very interesting, because I also think I know I have at least one example where, quote unquote, it has come true, per se. <laughs> so I don't want to I definitely want to get to that. OK, well, let's let's go then. Let's do the kind of more general groupings of sure. superstitions. So I mean, there are other things. I'm looking at one right now for horseshoes, Um, you know, kind of interesting. Not as interesting as what we talked about. Yeah, I mean, horseshoes are basically you know, like your four-leaf clovers, your horseshoes, your yeah. things to ward off evil. It's another thing to ward off evil. Yes. And, you know, hold good feelings and good juju. Yeah, because they were made of iron and they had the crescent moon yep. shape. And so that's all you need to know about that. Moving on. <laughs> They're good luck. Uh, just like spiders on the doorway are supposed to be right. good luck. Okay, so gamblers, gamblers and sports people have some of the most specific... Yeah. I mean, there's this whole thing in football and baseball, especially about patting each other on the butt. I assume that was based in superstition somewhere. I have no idea. That's a good game out there. Thing, yeah. But it has become like of the most you, you're never going to find a bigger group of homophobes than baseball players and football players. Yeah. They're constantly patting each other on the ass. I'm always like, there's got to be something behind that. I'm, I'm Pun, not going to research intended. this at all. I'm just going to guess that because to get a horse moving, you slap a horse on the ass. Oh, that's not a bad idea. Maybe bad as because horse racing has been a sport since horses. Yeah. And not all other sports have been around as long. Maybe it just developed from like if you're getting out of the bullpen to go up on deck for a baseball game. Sure. Your coach would hit you on the butt to get you moving like he would Maybe. a horse. And that just developed. That's going to be my guess. I have no idea. Yeah. Good just guess. Surmising. Uh, so gamblers, lots of gamblers 
won't enter a casino through the main entrance. Mm-hmm. They will go around. They just wouldn't walk into the front door. Right. I, I don't know why. It's just unlucky. And of course, gambling is all about luck. Oh, absolutely. There are a couple games of at least partial skill, but it is still largely luck-based. And casino games, as opposed to card games, are entirely luck. Roulette is all luck. So anything you can do to bring yourself better luck or ward off bad luck, you're going to, apparently. And it's interesting to me that in those arenas, like we talk about how normal people sort of celebrate superstitions for tradition or whatever, perfectly common sense people that don't believe any of this shit. You put them in a casino, they've got the rabbit's foot around their neck, they've got the pretty girl next to them, they've got, they blow on the dice. It all makes perfect sense. And they have to do it, even though I'm sure rationally they know it doesn't change the outcome one iota. But to them, it totally does. It's it's trying to have some sort of control of something completely random. Yes, that is that is basically exactly it. And I, the first time I went to Vegas was for my 21st birthday. My parents just so badly. It's it's so cool. You have to be kind of smart about it. But yeah, oh yeah. If you're smart about it, it is actually just a really fun time. I mean, look, I love like I'm I'm I would not say I'm a good gambler at all. But I want to play blackjack in Vegas, you know. I want to play the roulette in Vegas. I want to do a slot machine in Vegas because it's fun. It is fun. But I'm not going there expecting to either lose everything or become a millionaire. And I would imagine the people that do, though, they have to – psychologically, they have to rely on those things. Yeah. So the first time I went, I was young and impressionable. And I just kind of – I spent the first day that I was there just walking around the tables. We were my parents took me and we were staying at the Harris Casino and I went down at the at ten AM and they were giving gambling lessons for all the table games. Uh-huh. So I took gambling lessons for all the table games and I kinda knew what was going on. And I spent the first night there just like standing at the craps table. I would ask as long as everybody was okay with me just not playing and standing there. I would mm-hmm. stand there and I had people, of course, I was a freshly 21-year-old girl. So I had a whole bunch of people having me blow on their dice and wish them luck and stuff. Right. But I noticed that almost every single one of them had their thing. They had a thing. They had the first chip they ever won or a rabbit's foot, though no one ever actually had an actual rabbit's foot. But they had some talisman that they would hold or put in their pocket or leave on the table. And so I kind of took that and I had a lucky spoon. I just, I determined that this spoon that I got was a lucky spoon. So more to fit in than anything else, because apparently that's just what you do. You have a thing. Right. And that thing is what you have with you while you're gambling. So I had this spoon and I just carried the spoon with me. And it was weird to me when I would go to the, because I started playing craps for most of the weekend. So I would go to the craps table and if my spoon was in my pocket and not in my hand, I felt weirder. Yeah. Like, it just kind of infected me that there was... So rationally, you knew it really didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, it was nothing. It was totally ridiculous. But I I did notice that my mentality about the table game that I was playing was slightly different. I wasn't quite as excited. I didn't throw the dice in the same way or whatever. And I could see how something just... I'm doing this to fit in because he had a thing. Now I have a thing. Well, now right. if I don't have the thing, I'm, I feel weird. And if I feel weird, it's going to totally nag the table and I'm going to start throwing, you know, bad dice or drawing bad cards or whatever. I can see how that would totally grow up quickly in a place that is both social and very individualized, like a casino. Oh, absolutely. And sports the same way. There's just so much at stake that ends up being really out of your control that I think it all comes gambling, sports, everything Especially if you're a professional athlete, your career is riding on whether or not you perform well as an athlete. And I think a lot of the superstitions that people cling to, even the ones that are very rationally, you can th- the most rational-minded person in the world becomes a coach of a football team and is also all, all of a sudden doing the silliest stuff. Yeah. Just to make sure that they win the big game. Yep. And to, be, well, and to a certain extent, that is more within their control. But still, there's an element that you just can't do anything about. And I mean, there is something to be said for mind over matter, especially in a place like sport, where it isn't it isn't really luck. It is mostly skill. Right. That if you are able to get your mind right, mind over matter is a thing. Like, that's an observable phenomena. Mm-hmm. So if you can get your mind right, your skill will be up to par. If your mind is wrong, even if you know that, like, oh, I forgot my lucky socks at home. You know that they're not lucky socks. They're socks. They're gross, dirty socks that you wore at practice. You know that that doesn't make any difference whatsoever in your actual skill. You are the same player that you were yesterday when you had your socks. But if you don't have them, you notice. 
Right. That way on that's your mind. What it is. Yeah. It's the same way when, like I said, when I develop a routine in a play, I hardly ever break anything in that routine. I know that things will probably go fine if I do, but there's just a part of me that feels less nervous if I don't. Yeah, because you get used to it. You rely on that. It takes mm-hmm. one thing off your plate. Yes. Yeah, totally. But now going back to the theater, both of us being theater brats, the big superstition in theater is the play Macbeth. Not the play itself, although many people think the play is cursed, but yes. many, many, many people who are looked at as common sense, rational people, as soon as you step into a theater, in or if you don't know this already, if you say the name of the play Macbeth in a theater, or in some circles, if you say any lines from the play inside a theater, it is horribly bad luck, and whatever production you're in, as long as it's not Macbeth, is going to be cursed at some point. Yes. Now, I'm going to sit here and say, I don't necessarily think that's true. However, I don't say the name of that play inside the theater. <laughs> no, to me, that's respect. It is the Scottish play. It is the Scottish play. Or and Mackers. It's the Scottish play to me if I'm talking to anyone who would know that reference. Right. Like, I could, while we're out at dinner, I could reference Macbeth. I don't. I call it the Scottish play. And if I know that the people with me won't know what I mean, I will say Macbeth instead because it's just ease of conversation. But yeah, I don't call it Macbeth. I call it the Scottish play because that's habit. It's a habit you have to get into early if you're in theater because if you mess up and say it in the theater, you have to go around, you have to go outside, run around the theater three times. Spit. Uh, spit, curse, and then knock a special way for every theater that you're in. Right. And now I was doing a show a few years ago. I've become sort of legendary in this town for it because it was a production of Sherlock Holmes. And their lead actor dropped out six days before the play was going to open. And they asked me to fill in. And okay. I did. You want to talk about nervous? Yeah. Trying to cram all those lines in six days. I was a nervous wreck. Um, at the same time, the girl I was dating was doing My Fair Lady over at the Greenville Little Theater. I was at center stage. And uh, I had heard an instance during a performance where a mutual friend of ours, uh, who just really thought all that superstition stuff was just stupid, uh, said the M word in the theater before the performance. And there were several, some small, some big tech things that went wrong uh-huh. that night. Had nothing to do with him. It was not no. things that he was in control of. So he wasn't subconsciously cursing himself. It wasn't self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. And so I can't remember if it was the first or second weekend of performances for my play, but I was talking to the director at center stage. In her office, she said, Macbeth. And I remember going, <gasps> now technically this wasn't in the theater. That's, it counts to me. <laughs> but it was in the theater. <laughs> And I was like, I was already so nervous. I was like, you just said it. She goes, oh, I don't believe in that stuff. And then I told her the uh, My Fair Lady story. So she got up and she spun around and she spit and cursed over her shoulder. Yeah. It was Glenda, by the way. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I don't believe it at all. Okay, so Macbeth is supposedly cursed uh, yes. by witches because the play revealed their deep, dark secrets. Yeah, because it's not. It's certainly not the most murderous play no. in Shakespeare's pantheon. But it is. it incorporates so much supernatural uh, i think there's definitely a belief i mean there are beliefs that in early productions people died on stage that is how it's become known as cursed but there's such a supernatural element to it as well as, as there are in many shakespeare shows but in macbeth particularly well there's one slightly less supernatural reason for theater people to kind of want to ward off whatever might come with the scottish play because mm-hmm. it's one of the shortest of shakespeare's plays it is and it's very easy to do and crowds really like it. So if yes. a company was doing poorly, they would often trade whatever play they had been performing out for Macbeth for the last See, week never or two heard of that their run. Before. Yeah. And so they would just trade it out for Macbeth because it was easy and fast because they needed to get money in the door and they could you know, an excellent play. <laughs> it, it really is. It really is very good. And so because it was such a crowd pleaser, it always drew a crowd and it always drew in the cash. If they were failing at whatever play they had been performing, they would roll it out. So it signified that you were failing. Oh, that I have never heard before. Really? Yeah, that that is the less supernatural reason that people think Macbeth is. No, I've always heard it was because simply omen. people died in early performances of it. Either people that had played Macbeth or Lady Macbeth either died on stage during a production or after the production was over, died from tragic means, and then people just, I think, associated it with the witches. It's like the omen curse, which is a silly thing anyway. Yeah. But anytime you have something that has that sort of evil supernatural pall around it, if something out of the ordinary happens at all, which, you know, that happens all the time in theater and play, yeah. movies, whatever. You know, nobody says the Twilight Zone is cursed, but a guy and two kids had their heads chopped off during production. Right. <laughs> so, like, you know. I just... To me, this is kind of like saying bless you after somebody sneezes. It's right. just respecting the social tradition of it. But I will tell you, 
I will get nervous if somebody if I'm in a theater and somebody says it. I will yeah, get really nervous. I do too because you you don't do that. The most outlandish reaction to it though I've ever seen was in the presence of you. Do you remember this, Othello? No. Years ago, you were still in college, and your uh, class went to see a production of Othello from a touring. Uh, Shakespeare company and you invited me to come and afterwards they were going to give us this little workshop and so I remember sitting in a circle on stage and this one really cute girl who was like one of the stock lead actresses was talking to us about Shakespeare and a bunch of teenagers were there too and she kept saying Scottish play Scottish play Scottish play and this one girl goes what's a Scottish play and everybody was like oh oh how do I tell her and, oh, do I do remember this? Yeah, and the actress goes, "Oh, you know, Scottish play, um, um bubble, bubble, toil and trouble." And she goes, "No, uh, out, out, damn spot, uh, no, lady, make me." Uh, and she finally she goes, "Oh, Macbeth, yes." And we were on stage, oh. and this actress screamed at the top of her lungs and got up and ran. You remember this? Yes. Off stage, and we could hear her screaming around the back of the stage. Yep. Running to beat the band like she was on fire. Yep. Finally came back and settled down and sat in the middle of the stage and was like, that's bad luck. <laughs> Please don't do that. Yeah, I had totally forgotten about her. Yeah. Yes. I, but you just talking about that, like, it still kind of gives me the chills to think about saying the name of the Scottish play in a theater. Oh, me too. Like, we're we sitting here talking. I'm in my house. I can say Macbeth. I don't really sure. care. Macbeth, Macbeth, Macbeth. I'll say but it five times in the mirror. Inside a theater, it's so ingrained in me that how disrespectful oh, yeah. that is. Like, just outside of any of the supernatural, weird superstition of it, it's mm -hmm. just because the tradition of that superstition is so ingrained yes, it's absolutely. so disrespectful to do that that it just it makes me really itchy it's just a harmless way of honoring something yeah exactly sometimes when people are like oh that's just dumb i'm gonna do it that's when i'm kind of like um you know of course it does seem silly you're right but just don't be a dick <laughs> just it, it's not hurting you to not say it you know so just don't be a dick and and because it is like you're in a lot and most of the people you'll find who are the ones that are like that's dumb i'll say it or not hardcore old school theater people they yeah. might be doing it for fun or somebody you meet on a set and they just don't get it i'm like you know even if i don't believe the whole because i've been in productions where people said it and everything was fine but like you said there is that whole like we're just we just don't want to forget z says that it's uh it's like cussing in church even if it's yeah. not you're like you don't believe you're not it's not your faith but you go to a church you don't go yes. like Hey, what's, what the fuck's up, priest man? Like, you just the people don't. That are there. Exactly. Oh, can we do one last thing about um? Yeah, of course. About theaters. Yeah. Because it's it's Halloween. <laughs> so one theater superstitious tradition is the ghost light. Yeah. Where there there must always be a light burning yes. in a theater. Yes. And that is for the ghosts of the theater because all theaters are haunted. Of course, oh, everybody absolutely. knows that. So the light is there to allow the ghosts to perform their plays while the stage is dark. Which is an awesome idea. Yeah. But I have been in probably the most haunted theater in this area. So haunted, it's actually in a book about haunted places in South Carolina. Which one? The Little Theater. Oh, right, yeah. And I've been there at midnight just by myself in the dark going over something. Never had anything extremely weird happen. But you, you keep doing those things to honor the tradition, and there's always this little child's voice in the back of your head that goes, but what if? Do you want to be the one to piss off the ghosts? No. What if? I mean, no, you don't. Because leaving Leave the ghost the light, on. light on harms nothing. And practically, it allows for people to do stage work on a dark night. Absolutely. I do have actually one more short uh, one to, to be a bit of an addendum to. Uh, my friend Todd. Because there's the break a leg tradition where if you're in a show, uh, it is t instead of saying good luck before someone goes on stage, you wish them break a leg. Good I have a tradition luck. in that I don't care what show it is. I don't care if there's people in it that I hate. A superstition of mine, I hate going on stage if I haven't made sure to tell every single person in that cast break a leg. Sometimes in groups makes it easier, but it is part of my routine in every show that mm -hmm. everyone at some point gets told break a leg by me before the show starts. Good. My friend Todd will not say break a leg. He Why? says have fun. Have fun. Okay. Because he told someone to break a leg, and they did. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, I can see why you wouldn't want to do that again. Yeah, that makes sense. It's practical. Again, And again, I'm sure Todd doesn't intrinsically think, oh, my God. The, I caused the, the, the that. God's. But yeah. better safe than sorry. I mean, again, it's just a respect. Like, hey, I said break a leg and then you, you know, broke a leg. Maybe I have unknown superpowers. Exactly. Of fate. So if that I tell you to have fun, happen. you'll have fun. Exactly. That's way better. So everybody out there that's listening to this, I hope you have fun. <laughs> and don't break legs. 
unless you're doing a show, then break a leg figuratively. Do you want to know the coolest uh, non-Western European tr- superstition yes, that I know of? It's current. It's current. Currently believed by a, a wide swath of, okay. of culture that we are not a part of. In South Korea, there is a phenomena that is widely believed that is known as fan death. Okay. The fan death superstition is that if you have an electric fan in the room with you while you sleep, you will die. Oh. And currently, See, modern... I used to have one like right next to my bed when I was a kid. Yeah, like modern media will report people who die in the summer because it's hot and people die in the summer who die with an electric fan on. It is reported as a fan death. That's like, funny. That is the cause of death is that they had a fan on in the room while they were sleeping. That's funny. Yeah, I, I find that to be modernly... <sighs> hysterical honestly again i think it's just it's just this human brain's way of trying to deal with stuff it can't control it's got to be because of this so i found that really interesting that 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 there was that still surviving and and new because it is an electric fan so it's not even that old a superstition because electric fans are not old i've been around that long no i mean it makes perfect sense to me um even though it never affected me because i would literally add in one of those box fans and i would literally put it like right next to my head yeah when i went to bed because my room would get so hot but that is interesting, as has this whole episode. So please, if you like this episode, go back and listen to our Halloween episode. If you want to email us, ask us any questions, or comment on Twitter, Carissa, what can they do? You can email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. That's all spelled out, lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Or find us on Twitter at lucky underscore 10K. Excellent. And for anyone, everyone out there listening, if you want to hear us talk about anything, email us there. Comment. Give us a rating on Stitcher. Five stars. We will read it out on the air. And for anyone else... Just share it with your friends. Share all the goodness that the Lucky 10,000 is bringing. And seriously, go listen to the Halloween episode. It's really good. And also, because um, Halloween is actually this Saturday. Yeah, listen to the so, Halloween episode on Halloween. And then after Halloween, send us your costume pictures. Oh, that would be that would be awesome. We, yeah. will, we will post your Halloween pictures somewhere on our Twitter, on the main page for the podcast, somewhere, if you send them to us. Unless you so, tell us you don't want us to, then we'll just describe them. <laughs> right. Unless you tell us you don't want us to do that, then no one will know you did. But I will but, know, and that'll be important. Well, both of us will know, and I guess that'll be okay. But why do anything these days if everyone on social media can't hear about it? Right. If I can't hit like, what's the point? Exactly. So anyway, thank you guys for listening. Check us out next week. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, and nerds. I you got lucky tonight. Good night. Thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan and Carissa. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. And visit our podcast network site at beardofpodsnetwork.com.